welcome back to That's Kind of Wavy. We're your hosts. I'm Nikki. I'm Jill. And I'm Shaysel. And yeah, I know I was missing last week, but or two weeks ago, but back in full force, ready to blow out your eardrums with laughing too hard. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, so how have you guys been? I've been good. Let me recall what I've been doing. Um not not too much. I started taking like an online film course and it's honestly oh, yeah. been so fun. Uh, how's oh, yeah. how's it been going? It's all right. I've only done like a few of the little modules so far, which were basically like the history of film and like how, you know, like film cameras came to be and all that. And then like different types of shots and lighting. Um that was basically all that I've done so far. So yeah. just just well, like the, the basics. technical stuff. Yeah, yeah, the basics, which was still interesting, especially because like I took a film course specifically about David Lynch in college, but I've never taken like an intro to film course. So this has been helpful just like getting a foundation. Yeah. Or understanding all that different type of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's cool. Wait, Jill, what? Um, I know you've mentioned that before, but what? Where are you taking the course? It's just online. I think it's called like the Course Academy or something like that. Oh. <laughs> was it expensive? Um, so I it was like a during Black Friday. I think it was Cyber Monday. So it was like it was like sixty to like eighty percent off of the course. And no, normally they're like over a hundred dollars, but I think it was like thirty bucks. Oh my god, nice. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely heard of that before, where it's like. Or, like, I feel like I've seen it, like, they partner with, like, YouTubers or something. It's, like, use this code for oh, every, I think that, yeah. like, stuff like that, um, yeah. but, no, that sounds cool. Also, side note about Black Friday, I know this is not a unique take because I've been seeing everybody say it, but Black Friday deals suck. Oh, my God. Yeah. This year. I, they were so or, and, bad. Like, last year, I remember being kind of, like, I might as well be, like, shopping any weekend but this yeah. i was like did you guys see the videos i saw a few videos where people were like at kohl's or like target or just like any like big store and they pulled back the sign that said like black friday sale and behind it was the same exact sale amount it's it I've, like, I've seen those yeah it's literally like, unbelievable so they didn't even have a new sale for Black Friday. They just like relabeled it as Black Friday. And I saw oh. one where this was at Kohl's where they peeled off the sticker, the Black Friday sticker, and below it was a clearance sticker. So they had taken that <laughs> coat off of clearance, put it back to full price, and then marked it down for Black Friday. Wow. It's just unbelievable. Like I, I've I've heard of that for a while and that like obviously it's not actual markdowns. And I don't know because I was a lot younger back in the day but I feel like back in the day there were possibly actual markdowns but then when it became this like unbelievable phenomenon that it is now I mean even then like there are a bunch of videos that I haven't watched them but I've seen a bunch of videos titled like the downfall of Black Friday because I know that it's nowhere near like what it used to be with like actually going out to stores for it and it's become more online but I I knew that they weren't actually great deals but for it to be them literally just like having the same price or sometimes hiking up the price and then making it seem like it's on sale when the actual price is like it's like they'll still be selling it for the actual price but they'll create a new card that says it was actually 800 as opposed to the original 600 oh, yeah. and yeah. making it seem like it's on sale for 600 and it's like yeah. are you for fucking real can you try a little bit at least 
right? Well, and it's like, it's not as if these companies don't suck us dry every other day of the year. You can't give us one day. Like, throw us a bone, please. Like, God. Like, one actual day. Exactly. That's such a joke. It's crazy. This is like, I mean, obviously, we're not even going to dive into this. This could be like a a multiple episode topic but i just need to say and i know that we all know this and we live it but my tattoo artist and i were talking about this recently it's like actually unbelievable how and i don't mean this in like a good way it's just like objectively it is how smart and insidious of a system capitalism is like the way it is it so smartly operates is like actually fucking insane well it's like scary how much like we know about how the brain works now because yes. that's like they like use it like advertising yeah. and marketing and all that kind of stuff like literally use it oh and that's one thing she saw did you see me we were mid other conversation but my reply to the color of the year thing where i was like it does seem kind of chicken or the oh, egg yes that yeah I, I saw the one that you said about like how a year uh the rose gold year or something yeah yeah so for listeners who aren't in our group text so didn't (laughs) don't know the background of that um pantone released color of the year which is peach fuzz which also sounds very cute but if you look at the color it's more like chicken flesh oh my god ew i hate to think of it that way (laughs) have you seen it have you seen it no but i liked it but now that you say it like that i can see how it looks like chicken flesh (laughs) it's like fleshy like, it's not peachy to me. Like, yeah, peach fuzz yeah, is, like, your like hair. A, There's, like, a bit more you. orange. To it me. It's more, like, grapefruit. Or, like, even, yeah, like, I see what less you're pinky, though. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I somehow saw it, and I did think, oh, peach fuzz. It's literally specifically because my hair color right now is peach, and that's what my, like, peachy kind of looks like. But it's – but you're right. Like, the peach fuzz – like, actual peach fuzz isn't even that color, so I don't really get – yeah, yeah it's like that. there's more like oranginess and then like you said joe like grapefruit is more pink that's why i'm like it looks like flesh because it's like that there's no like nude yeah it's <laughs> yeah. like there's no like color to it it's like i don't know literally just skin yeah it doesn't have that like, much body behind like, it raw chicken <laughs> yeah yeah um but anyway so we were discussing that um and i have i've seen some things that are like basically like color of the year is a scam because it lines up with a bunch of capitalistic situations so like um airbnb got ipo'd a few years ago and that year the same color was or the color of the year was the color of the airbnb logo Hmm. and so there's a bunch of times where like or like vine the color of the year was the same year that vine came out and it was like the same like that green color it was like that color yeah but that's why i'm like it's chicken or the egg kind of thing because it could be they're taking advantage of i think sometimes it's they take advantage of the color of the year because the color of the year is i looked it up it's like obviously declared in like december and then vine started in january so it could be that but it's also like vine launched in january so it's not like they just were created that January, like had right. they, you know, so it's like, are they getting paid off? But so the one to me that is damning is why the hell did we have two colors of the year for 2016? They have never done that. There's no reason except Apple released rose gold mid 2015, end of 2015. And then yeah, 2016, one of the colors was that rose gold. So it's like. 
Yeah, and that one especially is like, come on. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, I think there is some of it is they announce the color of the year and then companies use that to their advantage of like, okay, this is then now people are thinking of this color, like let's use that in our logo. So that's why I'm like, I think it's kind of a chicken or the egg kind of thing. But I think yeah. there might be like some sort of like things going on behind the scenes, which w- yeah. wouldn't be surprising because like Pantone was like created to help companies like um, have a uniform coloring system for their like because in the past they like, you know, there were so many different shades of red. So they like assigned all those numbers so that there was like a uniform thing for each one. So no, you're right. Like, Cause ul- yeah, ultimately like it's like, I only, I mean, I think about Pantone frequently because I think of like, I just think of like colors <laughs> and stuff frequently yeah. and obviously like my DJ name and everything. But I, it, it's like crazy. Cause I think of it just from like that, like emotional perspective, but like ultimately it's a business and like they sell they sell yeah. colors, color schemes and everything and stuff like that. And it's like the color of the year part is just one phenomenon of their company that becomes yeah. more of like a social thing. But everything else about it is just another business. I mean, they also sell merch of the color. Like, yeah, you're a right. Different things of the color of the year every year, too. You're right. Yeah. So even they're making money off of their own thing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, so what's been up with you guys? Because we haven't <laughs> oh, yeah. actually addressed what you yeah. guys have been I was going to say, we're not even close to our topic. <laughs> Nikki, do you want to go first? Um, Sure. I mean, I've just been grooving. Um, Chris had uh, his grandpa passed last week, which was very sad. Um, so we've been doing a lot of family stuff. And that actually was, like, really nice. Like, obviously, it's, like not the best of circumstances to like get everybody together but um they're just it was so many people came to the wake and like the funeral was great and there was just like so much love and support and you know like there was the right amount too of like we were obviously mourning but then also like celebrating life and being together and all that kind of stuff so it actually was like i don't know all things considered not a bad week um but still obviously like emotionally draining. So deal with that. And then I don't know, I've just been working a lot. So nothing very exciting, but we got the holidays coming up, which I'm going to inherently stress over because I just get stressed. <laughs> right. <laughs> so just feeling, feeling a little all over the place the past few days, but it's fine. We have fun. Well, obviously so. sad to hear about yeah. Chris's grandpa, but I am, I am like, I'm not, obviously it does not like, it's still really sad, but like I am glad to hear that it led to moments of like reconnection in other ways with yeah. family. Yeah, it's like a silver lining kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've actually I've been pretty good. I feel like after being in a in a state of just like absolute chaos and like what felt like just absolute decay as well <laughs> while <laughs> writing my grad school applications, I'm feeling a lot better. Um, I still Yay! Have- Yay! I mean- <laughs> literally uh literally like sort of suicidal during that (laughs) process but like i'm chill now (laughs) anyways um but yeah i still have two to work on literally i still have two to work on in january but um i feel so much better after submitting like my top schools and everything like i've told you guys i'm taking a two-week at least two-week break of just like completely 
detaching from that world and it has been so nice like I have just felt such a relief um I also feel so good about it because it really has felt like I've been after being in a state of burnout for so long I I am currently in a state of like no matter how difficult it has been because of my neurodivergence and because I have still been in some level of a state of burnout I have been like I've been putting my all into the things I've been doing. So as a result, like I really feel like my best efforts, my my absolute best efforts were put in those applications. Like I can't think I could not have done better than I did. So whatever happens, like I truly gave it my all. And also even like with like working at my, at my mom's office again and everything, like it has been so nice. Like I have been doing such a good job. Like truly, I, like I've told you guys, I'm, I'm finding value again and like not to sound like a capitalist whore right now, but I mean, this isn't my corporation or anything. It's my mom's doctor's office. Um, but it does feel like I'm finding value in like work and like wanting to do good. And I've been like ahead of schedule for work stuff. Like I'll leave the office and I already have like some of my morning work for patient stuff done and everything. So I've just been feeling That's like, great. thank you. Yeah. I've, I've been feeling really good about that stuff. So still struggling with like other mental health, like aspects as usual, but I'm feeling good. Like on, I haven't told you guys about this yet, but I just started taking, um, Vyvanse instead of Adderall. Oh, yeah. And I've I've done that before, but it just hasn't been good for my mental health in the past. And this time it's been like at least two weeks of it, of being on it consistently. And I feel so different. I don't feel like the fog that I feel with like Adra a lot of the times where it's like too hyper-focused and then I'm like, I can't access the like thinking part of my brain. It's yeah. felt so much more natural. Like I've been able to like clean a lot easier and just like get the things that I need to get done without it being like a whole labor it's still labor some but it's not as like oh my god how can I do this so yeah pulling teeth yeah li- literally yeah. like everything was feeling like pulling teeth so I'm feeling pretty good because of all that stuff yay good yay. I'm glad when do you start that. hearing Thank back you. from Dude, schools so, so long like I think some programs might be a little sooner but like and if what I was reading online, like generally people typically know by the end of spring at the very like at the very latest, I believe. But I like honestly, I think mostly schools were saying that I won't hear back for like minimum like three to four months. It's good. like holy shit, which, which in a way is good, but it's like because then I can really just like no, I no, okay, it's like right. okay, but also I broke my balls for no, you. literally. So can, we, can we? Can you just fucking read it? I don't <laughs> think it will take you that long to read my right. Literally, like I know, I know it's like a comprehensive. Obviously, I want it to be a comprehensive review and everything, but like, what are you guys reading one a day? Like, I, I mean, I could definitely have more than that, but like, geez, I, I would think that it'd be like for them too, like a crunch period of going through them. But whatever, it's okay. It is what it is. Um, I'm hoping that like some of the, I know that some of them will come at different times, which like gives me some more hope too, and just more excitement, like knowing that I'll just you know get an email about an acceptance um at any time. So. Yeah, but I don't think I'll I think the earliest I'll hear back from any school would be like beginning of March. Yeah, which I mean, there is an aspect of like good that there is a bit of a gap so that like, like you said, like you can do this like two weeks and kind of like recalibrate because it's like if they were like, okay, we start reviewing it the second you turn it in, then I feel like you're still in that like you're so right activated mode of like, okay, now I can't do anything but wait. But it's like when there's enough time, like it allows you your body to like chill out about it a bit you know no you're absolutely right like it definitely is like it really does force me to be like well I actually have to chill and like reorient to like other aspects of life I'm not as actively engaged with the process so you're right yeah yay wow it's exciting yeah I'm excited I'm really yeah, excited big moves to... yeah yeah I'm really I'm really excited to be back in just like an academic environment next year and stuff and yeah like I, I know I said it but I just can't emphasize enough like 
again after a year of like burnout and everything to know how hard I worked on this. It's just been a while since I have felt like, I mean, I've worked hard for a lot of things, but because of being down on myself and everything, it's kind of hard to believe that I've done my, my max. But with this, like I put my whole ass pussy into this shit. So <laughs> good. Yeah. Yay. No. And I, that's such a like specific type of like pride and like right. self, yeah. like, I don't know. It's just very feels good. So. Yeah. All right. Should we jump into our topic? Yes. Yes. Um, so today we are going to talk about chick flicks just kind of in general, but also what even constitutes a chick flick? Uh, why did that term come about? Why is it like pretty much derogatory or like, I guess like dismissive, I would call it more dismissive than derogatory, but I think some people consider it derogatory. So I'm just going to dive into like some of the history of it. It wasn't actually the earliest known use of the phrase was in 1988. So it's still like a relatively recent concept. But all the way back, um, let me find the exact decade. So early 20th century is just what it says. But I think like 1920s, um, they had a genre called women's pictures. And that kind of was like early chick flick, I guess. Um, and what's interesting is they were made by men. Um, and it was usually like the woman is like a housewife or like a victim or something. And I think their intention was to create stories about women that the average woman could relate to. And it's like, well, women are housewives or victims of something. So, um <clears throat> It, okay, so then in the 1950s, it did sort of sort of shift like women pictures, films directed towards women, um, because that's like 1940s. They were women did join the workforce because of World War Two. And so then 1950s, it did get a bit more like empowered, like the stories that moved a bit away from like the housewife thing. And they talked about things um, like r- romance, courtship. And marriage, but then also work, motherhood, divorce, loneliness, alcoholism, widowhood, madness, ambition. So, like, things that all people experience, I guess, and women, too, that they didn't, like, acknowledge they could experience. Yeah. I I think that kind of correlates with, like, I don't know what, like, wave of feminism that is, but, like, the early wave of feminism when, like, the feminine mystique came out and people like housewives were kind of realizing how shitty and boring that type of life was and like they wanted to like find some more meaning and substance to life so I think it kind of coincides with that type of change and like shift in women wanting to get more out of life I think that's second wave feminism is that era because first wave is when we got the right to vote okay which was what like 1980 1918 or something like that yeah like yeah way way in the early days just over 100 years ago which is (laughs) fucked up um and then yeah so then second wave was like came about yeah with them joining the workforce and like getting i feel like it was like getting kind of like a taste for like oh there are things i could be doing outside of this instead of just like being told all you are is a mom and a housewife which if that's what you choose to do is completely fine but being forced to do that is not fine. Um, 
1961, Breakfast at Tiffany's came out, and it wasn't considered like a chick flick then, but looking back, a lot of people see it as like one of the earliest, if not the first chick flicks, because it, I've actually never seen it, which is interesting. Oh my God. I don't, have you guys seen it? Yes. Wait, say the movie again. Breakfast, Breakfast at, at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. Oh, I haven't seen it either. Yeah. I also um, read the book this year. Oh my God. Oh, I didn't even know there book. was a book. Yeah. How it's was by it? Truman Capote. Um, it's interesting. There's definitely racism and homophobia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say watch the movie instead if you want to like oh. Audrey Hepburn and Holly Golightly. But yeah. Yeah. But uh, so it's considered like aimed towards women because it like discusses um, like materialism and things like that. But like it's that's seen as like a good thing, not in the sense of like being like, oh, all women are materialistic, but like leaning into that and like kind of like, I don't know exploring it and more or less like celebrating it i guess i don't know how to explain yeah. it i think i, I think it, it like it goes saying. into showing just like women as a more complex being and having mm-hmm. like different sides of themselves and also like showing that women can also have negative aspects that like i mean it, it, you know it's like every person has negative aspects and they don't have to be like demeaned for it um so it's 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 a very like chill movie. It's one of those movies where the plot is like a girl running around. I think it's one of the original like movies where it's a girl. Just a running pretty around. girl just goes and does things. Yeah, pretty rich girl in New York City who like fucks guys and smokes a cigarette. <laughs> um, yeah. why is that not me? <laughs> no, right? I'm like, okay, honestly, vibes. Yeah. <laughs> and so then after that, in the 1980s, is when like there was the height of like. Not the hype, but, like, the first wave of, like, the teenage drama, coming-of-age stuff. A lot of John Hughes movies, um, which are labeled chick flicks, which I – or are often labeled chick flicks. Um, I would agree with that in the sense of, like, I actually haven't seen – I don't know if I've seen 16 Candles all the way through, but I know that that's, like, a love story. Um, But, like – I don't know if I would it's interesting that all John like John Hughes is considered like a chick flick like director right. and it's just like again too why is it men directing these and like assuming that they know like what women want to watch because it's it, like yeah it is kind of weird it's, and I think that like a lot of John Hughes movies kind of establish certain tropes and like cliches that are that come up a lot in um chick flick movies like of girls chasing after guys and having that be the entire plot and like you know personality trait of for the the main character in the movies yeah is that she's pining after a boy yeah or like that's like the only reason that she deserves respect is because she is a woman who can have sex if a man wants it from her yeah yeah pretty much yeah like that's her value right so then after that we kind of move into when it, they start mixing rom-com and chick flick like as a term and then and then we also get like the modern day like what like what movie do you guys think of when i say chick flick the first one that comes to mind and this is not from like personal experience because after reading about this one that i saw over and over again like mentioned was when harry met sally but i myself have mm-hmm. not seen that 
I haven't seen that. For me, the first one, like without reading stuff, if somebody's like, Do you want to watch a chick flick? I would picture Mean Girls and then Bridesmaids. I was going to say Brides. That's what I think of, like without reading stuff is Bridesmaids. Yeah. I feel like those are like my two. Like any 2000s rom com. So like 13 going on 30. Um, Legally Blonde. Dresses. Yeah, Legally yeah. Blonde. That movie with um, Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, yes. that one. Any of yeah. those, I feel like 2000s was like the peak of rom-com and chick flicks. It was being like the, the fun type of drama, and, which like part of chick flicks is just like stories, you know, centered around women in general. And a lot of like, there's like drama movies, which I feel like also kind of peaked in the 2000s with Kira Knightley starring in like random period dramas but like that that is like not what I think of for chick flicks because that just doesn't appeal to me I don't like period dramas or like yeah same more somber things so I don't know I that's like not usually what I would think of as being a chick flick but I guess it is yeah well one that I saw listed as like an example of a because and we'll get more into this later in the episode but like the difference between rom-com and chick flick and like all that kind of stuff one thing i saw like as an example of like those aren't the same is like uh the notebook is a romance movie but not a rom-com but it is a chick flick because it's like a romantic drama and it's centered around this guy like trying to win over the girl and like their love and stuff so it's like basically like anything that is about love or like literally like nice emotions basically <laughs> love friendship right happy uh, ending happy ending if the person is not if the woman or one of the leading female characters are not conventionally attractive chick flick yeah i saw it also portray like say that um one trope that is usually found in a lot of rom-coms is the like ironic self-deprecating tone which definitely yeah, yeah. is still true for a lot of movies today, which we'll talk about later too. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do, just because I don't want to forget to say this later, it's interesting. I feel like that originated when it was still men writing mm-hmm. women trying to show like, oh, but she is smart. Like trying to show like a layer right. of like, like self-awareness. self-awareness. Yeah. That's yeah. how I see it too. And it's yeah. like, I personally – like that's how I am like kind of a more like snarky ironic person I I don't I like using like irony kind of thing but like seeing it in movies it's never done well because it's usually (laughs) a man writing the woman making those jokes yeah and it's just like it turns into the like I'm not like other girls a cool girl kind of thing of like oh my god I don't know how to walk in heels (laughs) You know, right. like it's or like it stuff like that. It's like, sound like stupid as fuck. Yeah, exactly. Like, so it's interesting to the point of being just a dumbass, which also yeah. is harmful in itself. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. like, and I, I won't like fully dive into this right now, but like, and I have I didn't write it in my notes, but I'm sure that like our conversation will lead to this later. Um, also like because like men direct these men have tended to direct these movies in the past. There's that's where like things like the cool girl trope come up as well. Yeah their their biases like come through exactly um the end of this the wikipedia article about chick flicks which obviously you know wikipedia is not the end all be all but it 
I like I do like that people are respecting Wikipedia as a source more because I hated in school when they were like, don't use Wikipedia. I'm like, this shit like it's hard to like get your edits approved on Wikipedia like it is. Yes, it's like a. it is to me a peer reviewed source. Exactly. It's a compilation of of resources, you know? Yeah. 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 Anyways, they have a list following films have been characterized as chick flicks by commentators. Um, So the first one ever is the 1950 Cinderella. Um, I'm just I'm not going to read the whole list. I mean, it's not that long, but it's I'm not going to read the whole list. Um, And then like Greece is considered a chick flick, which again, I would agree on because it's like a love story kind of thing. Because um, also <clears throat> with like the what do they call them? The cells, the pink ladies. Oh, yeah. That's yes. the girls like there's also like the girlfriend group and showing them being like weird and quirky at like a sleepover, you know, like that kind of thing. 16 Candles, Dirty Dancing, Pretty Woman. Um, Clueless. That's one too that I think of, which I actually have never seen Clueless. Oh my god, that's actually one of the few um, chick flicks that is directed by a woman. Love. So, uh, that's that's like probably why people I, still love it. Yeah, this is something I want to talk about further in our discussion. Is like how many of these movies are directed by women versus men? Because I think that that yeah. influences how the story ends up getting told and how. We perceive that as feminine people. Yeah. And how we relate to that and like end up enjoying or disliking a movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll definitely. Yeah. Because I think that'll be interesting to discuss. Um, I th- thought it was interesting that Titanic was listed as a chick flick. That's not one I've ever considered, but it's mm-hmm. like because guess- it's so heavily based around the romance and like yeah. the drama. Um, 10 Things I Hate About You. Bridget Jones Diary, Legally Blonde, Princess Diaries, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, like you said, 13 Going on 30, Mean Girls, The Notebook, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, Double Wears Prada, 27 Dresses, Twilight, The Proposal, Bridesmaids, Fifty Shades of Grey, and then it kind of, you know, whatever. So those, and it is like all the stuff we think of, but it's just interesting because also looking at the list, they are like very different. Like, Twilight is so different <laughs> from, like, 13 going on 13. Pretty Woman or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah like right. Pretty Woman yeah, or yeah. Little Woman. Oh, my. Talk about a difference there. True. Um, But so it's interesting, too, that it's, like, these are movies that cover so many genres. But because the genres they cover are more attractive or interesting to women, it's, like, written off as like well it's a chick flick you know right i would argue even if it's just like stars a woman or features like women protagonists in general it's considered a chick flick dudes are like i don't want to watch a fucking movie where it stars a girl even if she's hot yeah well like oceans eight chick flick or like the modern female ghostbusters and everybody literally like had a conniption even like Gone Girl, I feel like people would consider a chick flick. Mm-hmm. It's like an, anything like representative of like the feminine experience in some yeah. way, which is unfortunately usually written with heartbreak <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. So that makes sense. Well, and it's interesting too, like you said, like, and this is something also I know um, Shaysel, I think, was you're going to get into a bit more. And I guess um, 
you can transition into that with this comment I'm about to make. But it's interesting, like you're saying, like Gone Girl um, or like Legally Blonde isn't quite as like intense. But in recent years or like how I said Ocean's 8 or like Ghostbusters, like even though those are all written off as chick flicks, like in the past years, like these chick flicks have been more like empowering to women, you know, or like women in strong roles. Yeah. And and so it's not even like we've kind of broken out of or actually one thing I researched was is Barbie considered a chick flick and people say no. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that, that to me is yes. very interesting because I'm I'm glad it's not considered a chick flick, but people are saying it's because it's not about what stereotypical chick flicks are about, which is like romance and stuff or like a woman coming into herself. Which I think it kind of is, but like Barbie starts off like in a perfect life and very happy and like doesn't need a man and stuff like like she starts off where a lot of chick flicks end. Yes, that's a good point. And so that's why it's like that's a big reason it's not. But I I don't know. I think I would consider it just because it does fall under the like about a woman heavily saturated by women a lot of different types of women represented which men couldn't care less about right you know a lot of pink everywhere so i don't know but i do think like in the past few years like 10 years like the style of chick flick has adjusted to eat like it's now just considered a chick flick not because of the plot but because it is like starring women but at the very least the women are now in more like strong roles Right, Right. or in the director's seat. Because I would say, like, any Greta Gerwig film is a chick flick because they are inherently, like, stories about women and the female experience, like, the femme experience, especially Lady Bird and Little Women. Like, those are, even Frances Ha, those are, like, literally, you know, chick flick central, I would say. I would definitely argue that Barbie is a chick flick because there's a whole plot talking about the ideals of feminism and i've seen yeah. so many people talk about on reddit how their boyfriends or their husbands like either didn't like barbie didn't want to watch it or yeah. they watched it and then they were like wow i'm so surprised at like how appealing that movie was for the general population so like men i would say are going into the movie expecting it to be a chick flick so i think that I don't know. In my mind, if a man is considering it a chick flick, it probably is. Even though that's like kind of adding to the fuel, but yeah. I see what you mean because it's like by nature, obviously, like they should not be the determining factor in what's a chick flick, but it's like by nature of of determining like women as like the other, which is kind of like what a chick flick is. I can see how like if a man determines that it's chick flick, like that typically aligns with what like people in general think of as a chick flick. And right. I also think with like Barbie not being considered a chick flick right now, I wonder if what becomes a chick flick also requires time for it to become something that is I do think for something to be a chick flick also like requires frequent revisits. And I wonder if that's something that like Barbie would be, which I can see, but we just don't know that right now. It's interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting like way to put it of the like revisits because it's like a chick flick addresses the femme experience and then also the femme experience is watching chick flicks 
Exactly. (laughs) And so, but now I think I agree that it's like a chick flick and I think it's a chick flick in our newer definition and understanding of it. Like I've said, like, like I was touching on with like how they've adjusted. So in like the 1990s, how they saw the chick flick was stuff like, like clueless and more like light, I guess. And Thomas, because Barbie does get like existential, they would not have considered it a chick flick. Yeah. You know? And so I think also our generation's understanding of what a chick flick is, is different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've kind of like reclaimed that term as like being more endearing because now like people our age have the more nostalgia factor attached to movies from the 2000s that were chick flicks. So I think we like generally like them. It's not like it's a mean, like a bad thing. Exactly. And I wonder, like, it feels like for a while chick flicks were very synonymous with like, just like films with like romance romantic romance involved and stuff like that but and then i saw this like huge shift happen like when we were i think in the 2010s so when we were like teenagers and then young adults um then i saw like a, a shift in chick flicks to become more like platonic relationship centric and the the empowering nature of focusing on those as a woman as a woman as opposed to focusing on romantic relationships and now with barbie and, and given that it's been enough years of like the friendship type of uh, chick flick I wonder if like it'll become more of like a if chick flicks now will become more of like a self-reflective and even like other existential pieces in those movies in the future that make it more chick flicky so more of like individual discovering or something yeah. that still feels different than yeah. like coming of age because right. Barbie itself although in some ways was coming of age like it still did not also it also did not feel like it was like strictly coming of age yeah no, and I, I would agree with that because it's like coming of age, yeah, is like, I mean, she was kind of like growing up in the sense, but like it was, yeah, coming of age is just like realizing like the intensity of the world and it feels like she was more than addressing like her place in the world and like what her yeah. world, she wanted her world to look like. Yeah. Did you want to, what else did you like research about like how they've changed over time? Um. Okay, well, some of the things I found. So I researched like rom coms as a whole, and then like some like specific uh, chick flicks. There's a lot of like I was looking up academic articles on it, and a lot of them were just analyzing like romantic comedies. So I'll talk about like the very. Br- I have like a very brief points about just like rom coms in general, which like obviously we all from like from like day to day life and watching movies know what a rom com is, but like the definition in this article I found. Uh, classifies it as a hybrid of the romance and comedy genres featuring a narrative that centers centers on the progress of a relationship and being a comedy resulting in a happy ending so happy ending is usually required in these movies at least like originally Um, and the dynamic usually rests on the central quest of pursuit of love and almost always leads to a successful resolution some of the earliest uh, romantic comedy films that exist that have existed although there's not like one definitive one but um, this article that has studied that has studied this um, in their dissertation at least this author sorry the authors the author of this dissertation talked about these specific movies in the 1920s they mentioned buster keaton's girl shy or sherlock jr of 1924 or charlie chaplin's city lights in 1931 and in these movies the romance or courtship was usually a subplot and the main premise was, was like the physical comedy of it all. So like slapstick and physical challenges confronting comedians. Our favorite thing. Yeah, yeah. right. I was going to say. <laughs> Literally. Favorite genre. Love, yeah, right. 
Oh, okay. In 1934, there was a turning point in uh, rom-coms when a movie called It Happened One Night was released, which I feel like I've maybe heard that title once, but I honestly don't know anything about that movie. But the way it was described is the tale of a runaway heiress that discovered and befriended an unemployed conniving reporter, reporter as they traveled by bus from Miami to New York. And I guess that movie was like up for a lot of awards back in the 1930s. Okay, yeah, and then as you as we discussed, chick flicks are typically are at least they briefly touched touched on it on this article, and it usually it usually describes movies that appeal to young women, as we've discussed. And what I found interesting about this article was that, like, especially interesting was that it had some graphs showing how like rom coms have shifted over time, and since the eighties, rom coms have spent considerably more time on the romance between two main characters, and I guess before it wasn't as much like that. Like it was like, it had a lot of like comedic elements and like, I don't know. I don't have a movie example to give you guys right now. Cause I didn't list any of those out, but like there was still romance involved, but it wasn't just between the two main characters. Like it might involve the family too. And all of this movie was after the eighties. I think of like, um, what's it called? Meet the parents. Is that the first one? And then meet the Fockers is the second one. Right. I actually just watched meet the parents for the first time. Um, like I've never movie- seen either. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Okay, well, me, well, like, well, that's an example of what I'm, what I'm describing. It's like in in that movie, it's like, yeah, there's like romance in it because it's about this like couple and like meeting the parents of like the the woman's like parents and whatever. But it was more like about the other dynamics than that. The subplot was like their actual love, in my opinion. Um, but like nowadays, that has shifted, and now we have more topics that like deal with simultaneous they describe it as simultaneous gestures of thanks and apology which i see that as like someone fucking up and then someone trying to make it better which i can definitely recall in a lot of rom-coms that have occurred in the past like at least in our lifetimes definitely Um, feeling seen but invisible being in a bad mood bad mood despite having fun and honestly i'm glad that like seeing this shift like i can like affirm with like my life experience in watching these movies and also it shows me that there has been a shift in the general complexity in the way that we view love some for the worst, which I'll get to in a second. But like, I like that a lot of these movies have shifted towards like internal dynamics and like the complexity of emotions and like how difficult maintaining and managing relationships actually can be. Well, it makes me think of like, um, in bridesmaids where one thing I do like is that she's the one fucking up because usually it's like the man fucking up but um, that's true how she shuts the cop guy out because she's like going through so much like internal like depression and like lack of self-worth and stuff like that like I don't think of bridesmaids as a rom-com because I think that's like a subplot as you were describing but there is like the romance in there but in a comedy movie that also discusses romance like I think that is exactly what you're describing in like a good way that it's changed of like the issue isn't their dynamic like it's she has personal issues that she has to work through and like that's very valid thing to have to do exactly and I was that 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 aligns with like this other graph they included that had to do with over time they've included more conflict and less physicality in romantic comedies so like there's like a significant in the graph i'm seeing there's a significant uptick from the 1980s to 2020 how like conflicting feelings is like the number one one of the number one topics addressed in these movies nowadays and has like the most screen time where things like actual like physical like the physicality of romance and stuff like that so maybe like oh sex scenes are definitely still depicted but i guess just like 
older movies involved more of that aspect and there has been like a significant decline in all of that even things like actually in mistakes and separation i'm looking on the graph has also declined but conflicting feelings is like exponentially increased and these changes of greater time focused on things like uh, conflicting feelings reveal an increasingly tumultuous depiction of, t- of courtship and i was wondering about this like I don't know what it is over time that's led to that. It aligns with what we were just saying about them portraying more of internal conflicts and stuff going on. And I wondered, like, is it because having those conflicts is more of like an innately human experience and less of like necessarily being a clinical mental health issue? And at the same time, it makes me wonder, is it related to the fact that because mental health, although still very stigmatized, is less stigmatized and therefore we can talk about complex emotions more nowadays, like it's more acceptable, which then obviously that obviously reinforces whatever we see and like the cultural zeitgeist in these movies and stuff. Is it because like therapy like might be more prominent, you know, like it's, I'm trying to figure out what it is that has led to these more existential questions about like what it means to exist as a person in this world in these movies nowadays. And it also like in this article, it also addressed how we've seen a shift in a lot of like rom-coms also becoming a lot of the ones that have come out in the past couple of years that I know of. I mean, they're honestly more like romantic dramas than rom-coms, but they have shifted into more of like an indie landscape with movies like Past Lives. Um, I just saw one called Fallen Leaves that was a finished movie, and that one definitely considered like a romantic drama. And a lot of these tend to be like more like vibey and also just definitely tackle very beautiful topics um, of just like the lived experience of people in that age and still kind of being like coming of age while being a romance film. And yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what it is that has led to that, but I definitely like that because I I find I I find I relate to and also appreciate films that address these topics more than like silly rom coms from the past. Not that there isn't merit in just like enjoying a silly rom com, but I like I I like being forced to sit with these feelings that we already exist with and watching these movies. I think part of it, honestly, is because you can only repeat the traditional rom-com story so many times. You know, like, I think after a while, it was like the same tropes happening over and over. And so they were like, okay, how can we like explore a different part of this? And the only way to like explore a new part is to like turn inward, you know, which I think is saying like, I think it's the end result is good. But and I think it's also like the consumer, like the audience of these movies can only watch the same plot so many times and then we start like demanding like okay we've seen that already can you give something like more like what's the next step you know and I think like going to that like self-reflective aspect of it is like the natural progression of like what's okay what's gonna give you a bit more now that we got over like the whole like silly goofy courtship thing yeah I think I my brain is jumping to thinking about how like how society functioned at these times and like the types of things that people had to worry about and how like the the original like o- the origins of movies is in a time when there was like war going on so i in my mind i'm i'm thinking that like people like objectively this isn't true because we still have a war and like poverty and you know a shit ton of things to be worrying about now but I I feel like in the past people had different worries that kind of like weighed on them in different ways and I think that the thing that people 
paid attention to more at those times was like the physicality of relationships and like how women were used as objects and like sexual beings and how that was portrayed in relationships and now we're at a point where like that's not the main focus so we don't have to like think about that as much and women and feminine people are able to have autonomy over their bodies in a way that people didn't really have in the past and we didn't have to like think about the politics of marriage and of being with a man to like make sure that you could have a house or a job and I think that now uh, we have like the ability to get more deep and like to think about and portray the, the the true complexities of relationships and like we have the time and ability and therapy and all of that to like really be able to sit with our feelings and like think about relationships and love in a different way but That's also a really good point uh, on, that was very well the, said thank you um and I think with the indie stuff I think that now there's just like it's so much more accessible to get into film and I think that that is allowing people to show also like tons of different stories especially related to like queer love I'm like so grateful that we have people like um what's her name is it Emma something <laughs> oh, Emma Seligman yeah who did bottoms like yeah. I'm so grateful to have her in the film industry i can't wait to see what else she does because i finally watched bottoms this week so definitely i haven't need to seen talk it oh my good? god is it I, honestly i feel like this is going to be controversial but i i had it hyped up in my head and it didn't hit as hard as i wanted it to that's fair i, I love still it. enjoyed it yeah i think about it every single day like actually i love <laughs> that movie <laughs> what is it is it what type of movie is it it's like so it's it's a sex comedy, like a teen sex comedy. At least that's what it's classified as. But it's like finally following women and like particularly gay women. And this mm. is this is not like a spoiler. It's just the basic premise. Like they start a fight club to to get girls to like like them. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that. So they're like fuck girls. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I have thoughts on that. Right, because it's well. still kind of like. Yeah. yeah, I had that on that too because it kind of <laughs> still like follows like the structure of like it, it, I don't like that it makes it that it, it's still following like a typical male yeah kind of well, concept of like I don't know of of something that that's weird. It's still based on a male model because I don't think that like girls would actually all girls are different obviously, but I don't think that like most like femme people would act that way necessarily. Yeah, um, but it's interesting. I think like queer rom-coms need to do the same progression that yeah. straight rom-coms yes. have done. Like we yes. need the hokey cliche like light love fun. story yeah. and like oh one of the partners messes up and chases the other one down on the Ferris wheel like a nope. You know, like we need like that <laughs> kind of flashy over the top storyline and then again we can do the natural progression of like acknowledging the different types of right. queer people and like the more internal thing not that I don't think that that should be explored but because like the queer experience is already so underrepresentative and so misunderstood that we can't just come out the door with more controversial yeah depictions of right. queer people we need to like you frankly need to start a bit safe yeah and like ease people into it because then it's like if people are kind of homophobic and like watch that or like have internalized homophobia and watch that then it's almost like uh like proof to their point 
Right. So it still needs to follow like somewhat of like a heteronormative structure of like how people approach romance and stuff. And it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, it's still what you said is completely true. Still, Nikki, I agree with that, especially like in the mainstream. But I had this realization as you were saying that that like interesting interestingly enough especially for like lesbian films it's almost there's actually like in terms of like indie cinema there's almost been like the opposite of like a trajectory with the way that they're they portray stories and the way that we see it with the movies that we just discussed like more traditional rom-coms because like a lot of like lesbian indie films are very like just very deep and serious yeah Yeah, and stuff and then it's like this one is like it's almost like they had to start with that to then get into like sillier shit (laughs) or something i guess yeah but I agree with you, like in the mainstream, at least like it definitely those movies don't are movies that tend to play in like select theaters and stuff like that, as opposed to right. bottoms that was like widely released. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I think like originally, yeah, it's just interesting. Like they need to like market towards queer people, towards straight people differently. Because yeah, I feel like right. queer people would be like, oh, my God, I finally have a gay romance movie and it's dumb as fuck like fuck you know like just i've been waiting forever could you give me a good one but then yeah straight people need to be like eased into it like we're saying it's like a catch-22 right they're like let's please have a gay movie where there's no gay sex shown true (laughs) you can have a gay movie i just don't want to see the gay people in it yeah i don't want to see any actual gay gay. yeah yeah (laughs) Um, I have one more thing I want to say about lad films, but I'll get to that at the end. I want to hear, Joe, what you have to say on your research. Okay. Well, okay. So it kind of goes along with what we were just doing. So it's mainly, I, I have a lot of information about the criticism and critique, which I also read this off of the Wikipedia <laughs> page. <laughs> um, so obviously there is a lot of criticism of this term, um, There have been some people who believe that chick flicks are (laughs) a microaggression on women, apparently, which obviously I understand what they're trying to say, but I I don't think that that can just be said about every chick flick ever, Um, especially the films that are directed by women or femme people. Like, how are you going to say it's a microaggression if it's, like, their lived truth? You know, like, that's just, it's not true. But I can definitely understand if we're talking about movies that were directed and written by men who are trying to show women from the male gaze and trying to place their own biases and perceptions of how a woman's life works through a man's eyes like that's when i can understand how they're making microaggressions like portraying women as needy in a relationship or like they're too demanding or whatever the fuck it is but there are definitely times when that ends up being problematic and i feel like that kind of relates to how we were saying like in the past like i think more like like older chick flicks like 90s early 2000s definitely did have that kind of like passive aggressive kind of thing. I feel like it's more that than like a microaggression. Right. Yeah. Like, and like kind of like an agenda of like how to paint women in relationships. But yeah, I would disagree with that. Like in the more recent years, like, and I think Jill, you said this at the very beginning of us discussing this topic. Like, I think also like our generation has more like reclaimed that term, like chick flick. Like we're like proud to have, movies that are for us you know yeah yeah 
I agree. Okay. And there's also people that's, this is a very, this is one criticism that I completely agree with. Um, This man, Radner, says that the genre is incredibly heteronormative and whitewashed. True. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, the uh, thankfully it's getting like at least in the year 2023 or maybe at least post 2020 that's finally starting to change and we're finally starting to see more queer and diverse casts in chick flicks but it's definitely still widely whitewashed and straight relationships which is unfortunate because that gets boring yeah well i did actually i thought of it i watched um a simple favor which, oh, Jill, yeah. I saw you had watched it. You didn't rate it, though. Did you like it? I did. I, I've watched it, like, a long time ago, which is why I hadn't rated it. But I did like it. Um, definitely I gave it a 3-5. Where they, the two girlies are. Making out. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of that movie. It's, um, like, it's the one I texted oh, to the group where I was just... like, Blake Lively needs to call me baby. <laughs> the one where she Down wears bad. a sexy power suit and she's with no like, shirt Ooh. underneath. Yeah, she's like a no, she's yeah. Um, I don't want to say too much because it is like a mystery thriller, but there is like some lighthearted like because Anna Kendrick is the other lead and she is like funny, you know. Yeah. Um, but like Lively's husband is Asian, and I literally was like. I took note of that. I was like so pleasantly surprised. I also find Asian men very attractive. So doubly pleasantly surprised. But I was like, oh my God, not another like crusty white man that we put in. Literally. Like, they use the same like five white men yeah. for like attractive roles. And I'm like over it. Like literally. So it was like nice to see some diversity in there. And then like her, they had a kid together and the kid was half Asian, half white. And like, I don't know, I think even just that representing a biracial family is also like underratedly like so important. Right. And I, I mean, I absolutely, I haven't seen this movie, that movie that you guys are talking about. So I don't know if this was the case, but like, although some movies obviously should explicitly talk about this, if this is the theme of the movie, I also think that there is merit when there is any sort of like biraciality or anything involved or gen- or general actual diversity involved in a movie and the whole thing not being about the fact that it's like they're biracial or something that it's, it's never it's normal you know yeah like, they never mention his race or like it's never okay, good. acknowledged in a good way of like that's just her husband and her kid good. and like and they actually meet she meets this family because their two sons are in class together and become friends oh, so it's also like okay. I don't know. It's just like the family aspect of it is acknowledged, but not the biracial aspect, which is cool. Yeah. Very good. Anyways, that was just a side note. Okay. Other criticisms are that chick flicks play, play into every woman's patriarchal unconscious and somewhat enforced internalized misogyny, um, especially in films where they pit women against each other over a man. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, this is also starting to change um, with movies now like Bottoms and like Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Barbie. Just any movie that like celebrates lesbians and not giving a fuck about men and not placing men at the center of anything. Um, passing the Bechdel test with flying colors. Just having zero men in sight. We need more of that. 
I literally <laughs> just created a letterbox list the other day um, called movies with not a single man. Um, and <laughs> I, I haven't seen any of them, but there's, there is one that I looked up that I haven't like, I haven't watched it. But there's one that I looked up. That's like pretty old. Like I, I'm pretty sure it was from 1930s that like supposedly doesn't like, I want a movie where I don't even see a man like extra, you know, I just want women. <laughs> and I, I, it doesn't surprise me that it would be from the 1930s because they didn't have as much money to exactly. fill the sets well, with extras. Well, at war. <laughs> True. True. They were also at war. If it was filmed, if it was filmed before, like, I don't know when like, it actually was. In the 1920s. Yeah. But, any, but still, like, it wouldn't surprise me, too, like, because when you watch older movies, they don't have scenes with, like, hella extras. Whereas, right. like, now a movie in the city, it's a bustling city. Right. But, so it wouldn't surprise me that an older one. Um, so that's most of the criticisms. I'm sure there's other things like depending on a specific film, you can pick out obvious things that might be be problematic or show women in a stereotyped way that is not helpful in our quest for um, acceptance and respect from men. But anyways, I would say like obvious positive thing about chick flicks is being able to see hear and live like women and feminine people's experiences because that alone is valuable that alone deserves to be told and we need to like have any story from a woman or feminine person be told and be put out there um because that we we've been an underrepresented underrepresented and underserved community for way too long especially in box office numbers like we are one of the largest groups out there um the wikipedia article was talking about how twilight made so much fucking money because of the women that went to the opening they the opening weekend 75 percent of the people that went were women Dude, like, I know that, like, the youth in general is what sets trends and stuff like that, but straight up, like, it's teenage girls specifically that have, like, the most revolutionary power in our culture, like, straight up, at least in pop culture. No, 100%. Yeah. Um, Which, actually, that's one thing I was thinking about with Jill, how you were saying, like, it's kind of changing. They don't do, like, the stereotypical stuff anymore um, or, like, include, like, stereotypes about women as much anymore. It made me think about... I feel like some, at least some of that has to do with like the rise of the internet and like the ability for the average person to critique movies because then it's like, because I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, if a movie came out now that's like uh, fired up, so like fired up, you know, people would be like, oh my God, like this is, you know, like now you just watch it and you're like, yeah, those were the times, like, you know, we're just slurring and sexually harassing women, you know, good old days. But like, I feel like if that came out now, that would be unfucking heard of. Like there would be outrage. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I think that's part of it too, is that like the average person is able to rate online, like, you know, the power of like, I takes so much credence i don't know if that's the right word but like i place a lot of importance on the ratings i look i rely on letterbox the most but if it's a three that i look at imdb and see like which way it is rotten tomatoes 
I don't pay attention to because usually they only show the critique score, yeah. critic scores, and that never lines up with what I think. So, but like the power of the individual to like express an opinion, I feel like has forced these creators to break out of using the stereotypes and like force them to be more in depth. Yeah, I have something to say about that because I'm super passionate about this, and it's it's un it's related to this, but related to like a larger topic. Asking to say real quick, sure. it, anecdotal evidence is so important, and that's coming. I just hit my table. I'm sorry if that I, I've I've been really good at not doing it, but I just got really passionate. Um, but anecdotal evidence is so important. Like obviously, I mean, as someone who's like wants to go to grad school for like scientific research and everything, like I obviously very much value scientific method. However, as a result. I mean, it's not a result of scientific method at all, but like, and obviously like science is very important, especially in this day and age when for some reason some people believe that science isn't real. But um, aside from that, like it is so important for us to hear from just the general public about what they think because it does inform our decisions. Like when I'm actually making an opinion about, mo- it's, you know, if I need actual like science, like, I mean, when I do this research, I look at like, I typically look for academic articles and stuff on Google Scholar. But aside from that, like, when I'm looking for like, I don't know, a place to go to or something like whether it be food or like even a doctor's office and stuff like that, anecdotal evidence is important. So like, I think that we should value, value it, although it's not ultimate truth and not that science, not that science can lead to ultimate truth, but it's the closest thing that we have to truth. And although like anecdotal evidence doesn't do that, it's still so important. And just like that with like reviewing movies and critiquing movies and stuff like that, it actually does inform not just our opinions and stuff like that, but it informs what movies are made in the future. And that goes for like every field ever. Yeah. I I totally agree. Yeah. Um, Okay. I have one last thing and then this will like tie really well into your lad flicks. So uh, while most chick flicks center around romantic conquest in some sort, um, Alison Winch writes about films she calls girlfriend flicks and these movies emphasize the relationships between friends instead of focusing on a love or a romantic love connection um and the examples of this would be like baby mama and bride wars and i would say even bridesmaids um yeah and winch also states that girlfriend flicks criticize second wave second wave feminism's superficial understanding of female solidarity by showing conflict pain and betrayal acted out between women and it emphasizes the complexities of women women's relationships Um, these girlfriend flicks break the mold for the usual chick flicks and allow the genre to gain a bit of depth according to this woman hell yeah yeah i would agree with that i love those types of movies that are just about like the girlies hanging out and going out they're the best movie that movie, How to Be Single, that came out. I love that movie. In like 2016. That is like perfect description of girlfriend flicks. Right. And yeah. this one this one is less less iconic than the ones that you mentioned, but I, I've been thinking about it as I was reading about this overall. Um, because it came out in 2017. So I guess it's like kind of older at this point. It's called Someone Great. It's a Netflix movie. It's honestly like pretty corny and like I the- feel like it, I might have seen it. You and you might you definitely have probably at least heard of it because it had like a little moment on social media back in the day. It has that girl from I think her name's Gina Rodriguez. Um, oh yes, I definitely did see this. Yeah, and it's definitely corny in ways that like piss me off um, a little bit. But besides that, it is a very cute like girlfriend movie still. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and I really like that shift. I love I love movies that just follow the girlies and undermine the importance of romantic relationships because they could never compare to platonic relationships. 
Right. Oh my god, like aquamarine. How did I not think of that? That's like core core girl girlfriend. Dude, I like cannot say this word right now. (laughs) Girl 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 girlfriend flicks. My mouth like does not work. I literally feel like I have a speech impediment right now. I've actually never seen Aquamarine. Oh, oh my god. god. It's so well, cute. We're watching that the next time you guys come visit because yeah. I have it on DVD. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's perfect. Fire it up. Um, well, I guess like the the last thing, unless you guys have more to add about chick flicks, um, the last thing I wanted to touch on was lad flicks, which like I guess like in concept I definitely knew that these existed, but like I didn't realize that it was like an actual term. And the second that I hear it, just because I hate anything related to anything masculine (laughs) i was like (laughs) ew um but they emerged in the late 1990s and like basically the definition or like what would categorize a movie as a lad flick is that masculinity itself is a central object and although it seems Mm. like movies would be inherently like anti-feminist in some ways they're not inherently anti-feminist however i would argue that like by nature of them amplifying stereotypical masculine traits which are stereotypically rooted in toxic masculinity masculinity some of these end up portraying anti-feminist ideals um but the genre explored what it meant to be a real man in the 20th century and it portrayed masculinity as a troubled anxious cultural category hiding behind a humorous facade and a couple of the movies that it mentioned which like the first one that it mentioned the second that i read life like i thought of this movie i don't know if you guys have seen that awkward moment from 2014 it has like zach no. No. I feel like I saw it a while ago. Oh, I my God. couldn't tell you a single thing. About I remember it. when this guy I was talking to, like, a long time ago. Yeah. I remember he was like, this movie, like, this guy was saying, this movie is so important to me. Like, it was like, like, basically, it was like their coming of age film. I don't think that they compared it to the what Pursuing a Wallflower is to me. But, like, essentially, from the way that they described it, it was like some more superficial variation of what Perks means to me for them. And this movie is most certainly whatever the fuck a lad flick is. It was, I, I'm not going to spoil a movie. I mean, honestly, I don't even know what there is to spoil because I don't think of substance happens. But it's like <laughs> these three guys, and it's like, it's not necessarily like fuck girls, but it's definitely like bros over hoes type of vibe. And it's just like, I don't know, just like them, them trying to understand like the, the feminine mind and whatever. And any movie like that just drives me crazy. The the female species. Literally the female, it's very female (laughs) species vibe in my opinion. Um, but like other movies that would fall under this and I actually haven't seen most. Well, I have seen, it mentions American pie, which I have seen like when I was a kid, um, knocked up 40 year old virgin, and there are plenty more, but sex drive. Oh my God. Sex drive. Sex drive is most certainly, <laughs> most certainly a lad flick. My God, I forgot we saw that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these movies tend to deliver escapism from reality and dive into the carefree joys of a, a playboy bachelor bachelor's life or the undisturbed bliss of the amateur slacker. And, In these movies, chauvinism, mild sexism, and male nudity are often used for comedic purposes, only to be renounced in the power of the woman nurturer and partner to be reinstated. They're like, no, guys, we were just kidding. No, literally. No, but like, usually though, they women are bitches. But like, my mom's not. No, literally. Just kidding when I said that. But also, literally, like this one hot girl that decided to fuck me. She's okay. Literally, and. and it's the way that these movies still require at least the ones mentioned in this. And like, I agree with the ones I have seen that would probably be considered Latflix do follow this like typical recipe. And it's the fact that like 
to be renounced and the power of the woman nurture and partner to be reinstated is so like, oh, a woman coming in to save me in this weird way of like, like not even like, oh, like they need women, but it's like, what I wrote down in my notes is like, why do men have to come of age into caring for someone else? Like why, why, why do men have to be like taught through basically fucking, yeah, literally taught through basically fucking over people and dealing with the consequences of losing the people they love because they've fucked over people that they have to learn. Oh, I should care about people. I should right. not be an immature slacker as this like article itself mentioned and how they specifically mentioned like, or the undisturbed bliss of the immature slacker. Like that is so proto that, that, that is just the prototype of men <laughs> you know it's, well, it's like, like undisturbed bliss because they don't think about how anybody else is feeling ever precisely. you know they are disturbing a lot of people's bliss just literally, by existing literally just They're protecting by their peace literally uh so even, even just seeing that just like pissed me off because the things that like not that i mean there certainly are films that like tackle really important topics of coming of age for single wallflower being one of them where like the the main protagonist is a guy so like obviously like that exists like where like they can tackle complex things but it's like it really is like the movies that would be considered lad flex it's like they're taught just basic interpersonal skills and like after again like after really fucking over a bunch of like women in their lives in the process it's so weird and inherently misogynistic in my opinion did we want to like talk about bottoms i don't know if we i can't remember if we like actually talked we did, about what well, we wanted to or if we just alluded to it no, we well, talked Nikki about how – yeah, oh, I haven't right. seen it, first of all. Second of all, we did talk about, like, the queer representation in media. Right, I don't know what – because we were kind of alluding to it being slightly misogynistic. Like, not necessarily oh. misogynistic, but, like, there are aspects of it that I was like, I don't know. It's like it's following – okay, L- let, me, let me, like, gather my thoughts on this. I, ha- I had that, like, thought as we were talking about it for the first time. It's like I knew that it was somewhat following the recipe of previous teen sex comedies, like things like Superbad and stuff like that, which makes sense why it would follow some variation of that um, of that recipe. And at the same time, like those movies are so inherently linked to the typical teenage boy experience and we're like so much of like the forefront of their experience for su- is for some reason getting laid. Well, it's like they're yeah. so horny. They're like so they're horny. Hor- that their whole going purpose. through puberty literally sends them so out of whack. <laughs> literally, yeah. like their whole purpose in life is just to fuck, apparently. And I guess, okay, but I guess in some ways, I could see that being part of the satire of this movie because, like, now that I'm thinking True. about it more, yeah, because it's like, okay, yeah, like they're making fun of like how obnoxious it is to have even gone to such lengths to get laid and for it to be from like the feminine perspective makes it even funnier because like we know better and like we're more complex. Not that not that women aren't horny, obviously, but like <laughs> just more complex beings to like understand how to go about that shit in a way that's actually successful and not just like, let me do some dumb shit to get laid, you know? So I yeah. can see it in some ways like making fun of that and at the same time does not take away from the fact that it is still basing the lesbian experience on what is typically a heteronormative model of like i hate to use this word but like courting someone i guess yeah yeah and i think like the thoughts that i was having kind of relate to the lad flicks in the sense of like the main characters are assholes yeah and they're like unapologetically assholes but they're assholes to the point where it kind of seems like for most of the movie they're 
like not self-aware about it that's and true I, that's like one aspect that i'm like i don't i don't like watching people just be assholes and like get away with it yeah i, but, I mean like at the end of the day i did like the movie and i liked the characters like i love rachel and ao but like yeah i don't know i'm like i i feel like we can add a little bit more complexity to these characters and have them be like a little less one-dimensional of just being like oh i'm the funny girl or like oh i'm the girl who shows no emotion right um yeah no i i I completely agree and it's it's like they did still include like parts of like the the lesbian romance that they did include i think was still like more emblematic of like girls liking girls as opposed to boys like going after like a girl or something as teenagers portrayed in movies yeah so i i did like that that was like a distinct difference in my opinion even with like the score behind it and everything like the ambience felt in watching that is what made me after watching it feel like really sad about the fact that i'm like damn i didn't get to experience what it was like to date a girl while i was in high school because of watching that movie i, I really thought about that and how like magical that i mean the feeling is still magical but how magical that feeling would have been from a teenage perspective and yet it still is like the character is still a lot of other parts of the movie is still portray like a typical like haha like i'm a boy and like i just want to fuck hot girls you know right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day you know we can still have movies that also show that side of the lesbian femme right. experience yeah we deserve a little movie where girls are mean yes <laughs> and, and just want to fuck, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is our episode on chick flicks with many a detour, but they were all good. They were productive and interesting conversations. At least I think so. We love detours. True. Yeah. We love a nice windy road down to our point. <laughs> um, but thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us anywhere that you listen to your podcasts every other Tuesday and follow us on social media where that's kind of wavy and leave a review. That would be lovely. Obviously, five stars. So. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.